This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Lord God in heaven, Lord, we praise you. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you, dear God in heaven, that you have saved us and you have redeemed us, Lord God. You have changed us, Lord God, from the inside out. You've made a way, Lord, where there was no way, oh God. Lord, as the disciples came to you, Lord, and they said, where else would we go for the words of eternal life? Truly, dear God, we come to you, Lord, for those words of eternal life, praying that you will speak to us, Lord, that you'll give us something, Lord, for our souls, Lord. You'll feed us, Lord, that you'll encourage us, Lord, and help us, Lord, to grow in more in grace and the knowledge of you, O God. Lord, we pray that you're glorified today. We pray that you're glorified through this message, O God, and that you're lifted up and exalted, Lord, because you are truly our risen Savior. We praise you, Lord God, and we thank you, Lord, for your presence here today, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your spirit, and we thank you for your word. Amen and amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, if you could turn to uh, the Gospel of John. Gospel of John. I've got a message which isn't new. It isn't something that you've never heard before. It isn't something that you don't know about, but it's something that God wants to stir up in us, remind us about, and make us thankful for. This is what the Word of God does. It gives us something to stir us up and to encourage us. We're very familiar with this passage. John chapter 3. I'm going to read the first 10 verses. As I said, we're familiar with this passage. John chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees, verse number 1, sorry. There's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, We know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, you, are you, not, are you uh, the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? As I said, this is a very familiar passage. And I just want to use this as our starting point to, to go from there. Nicodemus coming to, to Christ. This is Jesus' first Passover in ministry in Jerusalem. He's come to the city and he's created a bit of a huzz, a huzz and a huzz and whatever. And people are gathering and they're curious and he's going about teaching and performing miracles. 
and there's, there's a buzz going on. Yes, there's a buzz because it's the Passover. It's a big festival for the Jewish people. Uh, you remember later on that they, they gathered and they came to the Passover and there was people from all over the place, all over the country, all over the world had gathered. So too at this time, people had gathered and there was a buzz. But then this rabbi from the outskirts of the kingdom comes and he starts to preach and he starts to talk and he starts to teach and he starts to perform miracles. So of course he creates a stir. There's people who are curious. What's this kingdom of God he keeps talking about? What is this message he's, he's, he's bringing to us? This is new. He's speaking with a, even then they would be recognizing an authority and a, and a style to him that they were unfamiliar with. And he comes along, Nicodemus, and he goes, this is, this is interesting. This is, this is gonna be revolutionary. This is gonna be something that's worth noting. See, the Pharisees, whenever you read the Bible and you read the Gospels, the Pharisees are often painted with a, a, a big old brush. And we talk about them as, oh, they were so bitter and oh, they hated Jesus and oh, they were in control and they loved their authority. They were self-righteous and they were all those things. They were people who were, they, they loved to control. They loved to lord it over the masses. And they were those people. But at heart, there was a kernel they're a kernel, a, a seed of holiness to them. They, they wanted a genuine a, a, a sense of God. They want, there was a seed of real patriotism for their country. It, it might have been hidden under all this facade and all these things that they did and said, but there was a genuine seed somewhere of holiness, a desire to be more like God. And here Nicodemus comes to, to Jesus and this new teaching about the kingdom. And he says to himself, and he says, I'm gonna go to this Jesus. He, he's from a backwater part of, the, part of the country. We'll go up to him and, and I'll tell him the, the way, the lay of the land, the best way to get his message out there. I'll, I'll, I'll introduce him to the right people. You know, it says there at the beginning of that, of the reading there, John actually mentions he was a ruler of the Jews. And Jesus senses this something in him, senses this desire for something more, and yet his desire to use it, to use God. And what's his first words to Nicodemus there? Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He doesn't deal with uh, any sort of political problems or political issues. He doesn't talk about the state of the nation under the, the boot heel of, of Rome. He doesn't deal with anything like that there. The internal politics, he comes straight to the heart of it. He says, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, I'm sure he had all these ideas about what he was going to discuss and how he was going to open the conversation. And he's going to, I'm going to ease it in. And I'll give him, a, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll come to him and I'll say to him, you know, uh, you know, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. But Jesus knew the heart of the man, knew the heart of the problem. And that's what we want to talk about today. Not just Nicodemus's problem, but our problem the problem that, that God has solved for us. I want to talk today about regeneration, the rebirth, the new birth. They're all interchangeable, all phrases which are used throughout the New Testament, throughout the, the New Testament to talk about what God has done in us, how he has changed us, how he has transformed us. We take it for granted. We, we just brush over it and we go, yes, he's changed me. It's great. But we, do we actually know what he has done to us? 
You know, I just want to spend a wee bit of time this morning talking about how he has changed us, what has happened in us, and I want us to become appreciative of what he has done. And if you don't know Christ this morning, this will be a message to say, here's what he can do. He can change us. He can change who we are. So in verse three, it says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So the first question is, how do we become born again? Well, I can tell you how it's not. From the passage, we clearly see it's got absolutely nothing to do with religious heritage. It's absolutely nothing to do with religious practice. It's absolutely nothing to do with what church you go to, what denomination you are, you know, what set of creeds or uh, doctrines you give a nod to. It's absolutely nothing to do with religion. It is absolutely nothing. Um, I can remember as a, uh, in a youth group that I used to go to, I may have mentioned this before, um, I was in a youth group and we used to travel doing sketches. I think I did mention it last time I was here maybe. Um, and we did sketches and it was all about, you know, uh, the, the, the leader would get up and he would start to speak about, the, the, about God and being a Christian and that type of thing. And there was four or five of us throughout the congregation and we'd be sitting there and when he'd get to the key phrase, we would jump up and we would start making noises. We'd go, and you start running around and he would stop what he was doing and he would settle us down, settle down, settle down, settle down. What are you doing? Well, I'm a car. Why, what, what makes you think you're a car? Well, I've got wheels. Well, I've, make, I've got an engine noise. Oh, I've got a horn. No, oh, I've got a, you know, and you go through them all and he, that doesn't make you a car. Then he'd go on and the next one would be a duck. He'd be going quack, 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 quack. And you'd be going like, what makes you think you're a duck? You've got web feet, you know, I, I don't. Um, but he, I've got wings, you know, I, I like water, you know, things like that there. And at the end, then we would get to a point and we would say, he'd get to the key phrase again. And we'd jump up and go, amen, praise the Lord, hallelujah. And he'd go, what are you doing? Well, he'd say, I'm a Christian. What makes you think you're a Christian? Well, I go to church. Well, I read the Bible. Well, I give in the offering. Well, I do, well, I do, well, I do. Those things, as the point of that story, whenever he preached it, spoke it, was that those things don't make us Christians. There has to be something more than that. So for Nicodemus, all your religious learning, all your years of study don't matter anything because it's not the religious stuff that matters. What you know, what denomination you go to. He went further then. He says, it's not a matter of biology. Can a man enter again a second time into his mother's womb? Now for, for the Jews, this was a huge thing. We are God's chosen people. Well, we were born into the covenant. This was a special relationship with God, and it is. But he's saying, it's not that special. It's special, yes, but that doesn't get you into heaven. It's not about biology. And for us, we can say, I was born in a Christian family. My dad, he was a preacher. Surely that should be enough. It's not enough. It is not enough. It falls short. It's not something that's granted by men or bestowed upon us by men. In our analogy, we would think of something like, you know, some, you know, certain denominations in baptism that now you're a member of the family. It's not about, not about something that man can grant upon us. This is a purely divine act. And obviously as well, it goes, goes further to say the new birth is not a matter of knowledge. 
It's not a matter of knowing enough verses in the Bible. It's not a matter of knowing enough people. It's not a matter of knowing. It's not a matter of knowledge. An expert in the law, here was Nicodemus, and you being a teacher, do not know these things? So it's not a matter of knowledge. I've been involved in many discussions, some very visible on Facebook and that type of thing, discussions about God and about the value of each of us individually as God has got a value for every man, woman, and child has a value, inherent value of God. I've been in discussions about those there with people. Uh, I've been in discussions about morality and the, the origins of the universe, and all those type of things. And you find quite often you get to the point where you're just getting question after question after question after question fired at you. See, people don't, the people's problem is not a matter of knowledge. It's not a matter of education. We can have the greatest schools in the country, the greatest schools in the world, and we'll still have the same problems we've always had. I mean, look at the financial crisis, which the the world has just experienced. Who was it? Was the perpetrators? Some of the most educated people in the world. 1930s Germany, arguably the most educated nation on the earth with such science and learning and understanding. Look at the the rocket, the history of rockets, the, the history of nuclear weapons. All of them are filled with German scientists. And yet their problem wasn't education. The problem was their heart. It was a problem of the heart. Proverbs 19 verse three says, a person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. Matthew 15, 19 says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. So it's not a matter of knowledge. Knowledge will never do the job. It has to be about more than that. And we're looking here at regeneration, about how God changes us, how we are born again into the Spirit. Colossians 2.13 says, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. See, the truth is that everyone at birth, everyone is both bound for hell It's sad to say, it's uncomfortable to say, it's uncomfortable to acknowledge that, that we all have the same problem. We're all bound for a lost eternity. God will not force us into his presence. So we're bound for a place without God. But we are also unfit for heaven. Unfit for heaven. There's something in us that is far from God that it makes us unfit for him or to enter heaven. See, before we are saved, before we come to Christ and we are reborn as a normal human being, born of a, born of a woman, we have a nature which is the same nature of Adam. Adam's fallen nature was passed on to us as his as his seed, as his heirs, we have his nature. And his nature is that enmity with God. That's why he was cast out of the garden. And that's why we were far from God. We are, have an un, a, 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 a nature that is not compatible with God. But at the new birth, God changes us. He fundamentally changes us. Now we have a new nature. And we no longer have a likeness to Adam in one sense 
But now we have a new likeness to Christ. We are changed. We are transformed. Can we explain it? Can we grapple with it? It's a marvelous truth. It's a marvelous reality. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. There'll be something about us that resembles him. We might not understand it all fully, but it's going to be, it's a a wonderful transformation. Theologically, we talk about it as a mystical transformation where God changes us and we can't quite grasp the fullness of it. So who is the source? The second question, who is the source of this regeneration? It is, of course, the Holy Spirit. Um, our spirit is rejo- reborn or regenerated by God at the moment of salvation. It's not to say that we're totally different. It's not to say that we're transformed. You know, whenever I came to Christ and I accepted him as my savior, I was still the son of William and Evelyn. I was still the brother of Stephen, um, but I was still me as well. That's how we can easily and, and joyfully sing that I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Because it's not the physical me that has changed, it is the spiritual me that has been transformed. Billy Graham said, a transformed life is the greatest of all miracles. Every time a person is born again by repentance of sin and faith in Jesus, the miracle of regeneration is performed. It's not something that we can manufacture. It's something that Christ does in us. John chapter one, verse 11 and 12 says, and he came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. There's a bit of an echo of what he was gonna say to Nicodemus in that. There's a bit of a hinting towards it. He's saying this is not something that you can have by right of virtue of your connections or your social standing. Regeneration, that change within us does not happen because of the will of the flesh or the will of of man or something we can conjure up. Okay, now that I have accepted Christ as my savior, that's it. I'm giving up the fags. That's it. I'm giving up the gambling. That's it. I'm giving. Well, I'm picking all the good free Presbyterian <laughs> hammer points. You know what I mean? Well, that's it. Now that I'm saved, I'm going to do it. Boys, it dears. I'm going to put some effort in, and I'm going to be a changed man. Boys, it dears. This is it. A new page has been turned, and I'm going to do it. Just going to sit here until it happens. I'm going to sit here. It's not of the will of man. Something God does within us. How He transforms us. It is God's sovereign act in response to our faith, which appropriates what Christ did on Calvary. And then this Holy Spirit comes in and changes us. Boys and ears, that's for me. I'll have that. Give me an extra portion. That's gorgeous. Brilliant, isn't it? God's good, he changes us. And it's God's act. It's something the Holy Spirit does within us. Can we understand it? We can look through a glass darkly at these things. We can gain some sort of an understanding and some sort of an appreciation of it. The Holy Spirit who comes in and changes us fundamentally. R.C. Sproul said, we can no more assist the Holy Spirit in the quickening of our souls to spiritual life than Lazarus could help Jesus raise him from the dead. 
Now, wonderful. God has done such a wonderful work in our lives, transforming work in our lives. So what is it actually happens to us? What does God actually do in us? Turn over to Titus chapter three. This is a great wee passage here as well. Titus chapter three. There's so many verses once you start looking into this subject. There's so many verses and passages throughout the New Testament and even into the Old Testament that talk about this new birth, the new regeneration, and this change that God does in us. Titus chapter 3, Timothy, Titus, Hebrews, sort of in the middle there. If you hit Revelation, you've gone too far. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. It says, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we had done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Paul writing to Titus reminds him that we were once foolish and disobedient. You know what? That really sums me up before I became to Christ. It really foolish, disobedient, living after my own lusts and pleasures, doing my own thing. You know, it's, it, 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 it was us all, really, wasn't it? Before we came to know Christ, we were so selfish and self-serving and self, uh, uh, full of ourselves, living in malice, envy, hateful, and hating. But acknowledging our, our condition before God, coming to him as our savior, hearing that message that he has come to save us and redeem us from the curse of the law, we are now changed he listed what we were like, but, but not just that. We are no longer enslaved to the same things. We have been set free, delivered from those things, delivered from the bondage of them. These were other notes that came up as I was thinking about this. Uh, we are all by nature children of wrath and belong to this world. This world which is in darkness, And then God, through a supernatural call, supernatural act has changed us, translated us from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. Can we appreciate what God has done to us, to our character, to our heart? Sometimes it's a dramatic change. It happens overnight. Someone is is, is saved and, and it's transformed by God. It happens simultaneously at that moment where we change our destination and then we become, right away, we become fit for heaven. That's why you see someone on their deathbed who is saved, who hasn't had a life of reading the Bible, but has come to acknowledge that they need a savior. They're fit for heaven once they have bowed the knee to Christ, been transformed. There is a change in us. There's some people here today who, before they came to Christ, were just not nice characters. Sorry, I didn't mean to look at you there. (laughs) Some of us, you wouldn't really have wanted to bump into. Some people who are in the body of Christ today, you wouldn't want to have bumped into in a dark alley. They probably would have asked you for a drink or something. But God has changed us. Isn't it miraculous? 
believers from around the world who have never met before can come together and have a kinship and have a relationship. People from totally different walks of life, totally different, come together and share something in common now that they have become collectively the children of God. It is a wonderful thing how God does that to us and for us. We have been changed. C.H. Spurgeon says, if you are renewed by grace and were to meet your old self, I am sure you'd be very anxious to get away from his company. So there's a change in the believer. We have become the children of God. Now through regeneration, we have a desire for heavenly things. You see that someone who comes to Christ, and what's the first thing they want to do? They want to read the entire Bible. I want to know everything that's in this book. I got to know it all. Oh, I want to pray. Oh, dear. I want to pray all the time. Oh, oh, I want to spend time with the people of God. Anytime the door is opened, that new believer's first one beating down the door. I want to be in there. I want to get in there. I want to know God. I want, I've had a taste of it. I've become a child of God, and my nature has changed, and I want more of him. I can remember Don Carpenter. You remember Don Carpenter from Canada who used to come through? Quite a character. Don Carpenter, um, he told the story about traveling through uh, America and he was traveling from church to church and he gave a message and he preached. I don't even, I have no idea what it was. And he says, afterwards, this lady came up to him and said to him, you know, I, I love that idea of Jesus that you talked about. Uh, you know, I really understand about, you know, salvation and God. And I, I do appreciate that. But there's going to be too many changes in my life if I become a Christian. You know what? I really love that Strictly Come dancing. Oh, I really love that ballroom dancing. I, I do it every Sunday afternoon and, you know, during the week as well. And I just couldn't give that up. I don't want to give it up. And that's what she said to him for her reason for not coming to Christ. It wasn't for love of the world, love of something sinful habit or something like that there. I love my ballroom dancing. That's it. And he said to her, you know what? You come to Christ, you don't have to give up ballroom dancing. God doesn't care about ballroom dancing. He doesn't care if you watch Strictly Come Dancing or whatever. But he cares about your heart. He cares about your eternity. He cares about you, more important than those things. And she, with that new piece of information, she bent the knee and she accepted Christ as her savior. A year later, he was passing through the same church and as he was, came in and sat down, this wee woman came storming up from the back, wagged her finger at him and said, see you, you told me if I got saved, I could still ballroom dance. And he goes, well, that was true. That's true, sister, that's the way he would say it. Um, and she says, yeah, but I came to Christ and the last thing I want to do is ballroom dance. <laughs> so he changes us. Those things which have a grip on our hearts, which he knows are ultimately bad for us, he changes us. He gives us a hunger for his word, a hunger for his presence. As the, the, the song went today, a hunger to spend time with his people, a hunger to come to church and to gather and to worship God collectively, to meet our brothers and sisters. He creates that in us. What? That's a remarkable change that he's done in us. I've been changed, transformed, renewed, reborn, regenerated. He's done something in me. I can't quite put, a, put into words. It's a wonderful truth. And you know what? We know it when we're saved, but we need to be reminded of it. You know what? When I, was saved, when I came to Christ, I realized the world was not good enough. I think sometimes I forget that. 
I think sometimes I forget that this world's not good enough to keep me entertained. It's not good enough for my eternal soul. This world is not good enough. You've been changed. You've been transformed. We should live like it. We should believe it. So what is God's purpose in giving us a new spirit and a new heart and, uh, and changing us? Let's turn over to the Old Testament. This is a, a fabulous passage in Ezekiel. I'm getting used to turn to scriptures today. I figure if pastor was here, he'd be doing that a lot. So I think it's appropriate. Ezekiel chapter 36. So what is God's purpose in giving us this new heart and regenerating us? Ezekiel chapter 36. And it says in verse 24, Uh, for I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle you with clean water. Uh, uh, sprinkle, yes, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you, a, and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And finishing there. Yes, this is God talking to the children of Israel. The children of Israel who as we all know are God's chosen rebels. God's chosen rebels. The whole world was in rebellion, but he chose one group of rebels to make his own group and to make a point and to speak to us as well as speak to them. See, this plan of God in their lives and in ours involved a softening of the children of Israel's hearts, creating a sensitivity to God's leading and guiding, a humbleness and teachability which the children of Israel lacked. You don't need me to prove to you that they lacked that. If you've read any of the stories in the Old Testament, any of the stories of the Exodus, and even into the prophets, um, you know, the judges, any of the stories, they lacked all those things. They had no sensitivity to God's leading and guiding. They had no humbleness and teachability. They were stiff-necked people. And so were we. His purpose was to give them a heart of flesh, to change them and make them more open to his guidance and his leading. We see it all through the pages of the Old Testament, their stubbornness and bullish arrogance, determination to do it their way. They were stiff-necked people set on living how they wanted. Before regeneration, before we were made new, we were like goats, running around doing our own thing, living our own way, with our own decisions. But at that moment where we were changed, we become sheep of his pasture. And now we can look at him and say, you are our great shepherd. He is the one we look to. And we can have that openness and relationship with him. When we were born again, we experienced an intimacy with God that we never imagined. Yes, we heard when we came to the cross, when we were sitting in a service or we were talking to a friend, we heard about how Christ could, change, could save us, could deliver us. 
we, we understood the, the, the bones of the mechanics of it and how he had shed his blood, poured it out as a, a, a sacrifice for us. And we understood that. But nowhere did the, did the term, the understanding come in that God was going to change us and that we were going to have a relationship with him in such a way, an awareness of him that we do as his people. A knowledge that doesn't just reside here. Because all it does is reside here, then we're talking knowledge again and education. But we're not. We're talking about something God has done in our hearts, where that knowledge goes from our hearts to our heads, and then it becomes an experiential thing rather than a, a mental thing. Because you don't want to do mental things. After regeneration, we become aware of him in a way that sometimes it's almost tangible. We have a sensitivity to him. Ezekiel 39, 29 says later on, again, Jesus talking to Israel, he says, neither will I hide my face anymore from them, for I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord. In the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The slate has been wiped clean. The slate has been wiped clean. Those things that we experienced in the past that we were tied to in the past, those things that charmed us most, that had attachment to our soul and attachment to our heart, no longer have that attachment. They no longer have that connection to us. The slate has been wiped clean. We're no longer enslaved to them. Now no longer they reign over our lives. Now no longer are we slaves to them. The presence of them still resides in us and around us. But the power of it has been broken over our lives. The new birth gives us a change, gives us a change of address, not just eternally, but also spiritually. Not just one day down the line will I be saved and will I be transformed. Yes, in one sense, we will be. But in another sense, he's done it. Whenever we come to Christ, we are changed. Now, as changed people, in the Old Testament, you've seen it where the, the Spirit of God would come upon someone. Like it talks about Saul. It said the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul and he prophesied. The Spirit of the Lord came upon someone and they did something. Samson, uh, he shook himself and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he did mighty things. Over and over again, you see the Spirit of the Lord coming on them for a short period of time because they still had that old nature. So the Spirit of God couldn't reside in there couldn't abide in there, but now at the new birth, when we are transformed, what was the promise? And I'll send my spirit to you and he'll dwell within you. Now comfortably the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. It comes and he speaks to us and tells us of God and the kingdom through his word. A.W. Tozer said, the moment the spirit has quickened us to life in regeneration, our whole being senses its kinship to God and leaps in us in joyous recognition. That is the heavenly birth without which we cannot see the kingdom of God. We've been made fit for heaven. So what is the consequence of this new birth? I get a wee bit, I, when I was thinking about this, if there's any computer geeks out there, you'll understand this perfectly. Everyone else probably won't. <laughs> At the point of recreation or regeneration, 
God changes us fundamentally. Our software has been rewritten. Yes, the hardware is still wired to another operating system, but the software has been changed. Um, it's, we have a total overhaul of our software. It takes time for that sometimes to work through. It takes time for that transformation to fully materialize itself in every aspect of us. Our old nature has had years and years of living a certain way and of doing certain things. But our new nature within us desires to do something better, desires to serve God, desires to read his word, desires to speak to him in prayer. The spirit within us now sends out his influence out through our various members like the heart pumping new and fresh blood to tired, dying and dead organs that results in a dramatic transformation. Uh, God is effectively giving us a new modem to connect him to him and receive from him. J.F. Woodward said, um, as, a tr as is true of man who is born naturally and receives a human nature, um, from his parents, so man born anew receives a new nature, a new capacity for service and devotion to God. He changes us from the inside out. First Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. We've been changed to a living hope, a hope in God, a hope in his ability to look after us, a hope in his, his eternal plan for our lives, a hope that we have an advocate with the Father who stands before God and tells him all about us, who stands in the gap for us and prays for us, who seeks our good, a hope in him that he'll get us through any situation we're facing. A hope that is a lively hope. Ephesians 2 says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with him, with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This is the abundant life that we were promised. This is the abundant life to be alive to him, to be open to him, to be able to communicate with him intimately and to hear from him and to speak to him at any time. This is the abundant life. Adrian Rogers says, the same Jesus who turned water into wine can transform your home, your family, your life and your future. He is still in the miracle working business and his business is the business of transformation. Now I realize that today there may be no one here that's just saved. These might seem like things that are all old hat. We've had many years maybe of living a certain way, of maybe years of becoming sort of blasé to the things of God. We've had a few years where, you know, a few, few miles on the clock, you know, you've seen a car that hasn't been cleaned, it just gets covered in grime once in a while and it's not quite got that sparkle. And that might be our situation. It might be. Scriptures do teach about, in Hebrews especially, about people who have tasted of the eternal gift and turned away. It also speaks in the scriptures about people who have lost the joy of their salvation. Things can happen, things can go on in our lives. We can sometimes walk in disobedience to what God wants for us and what God has told us is not good for us. 
we can do those things. And the sparkle of our new birth can seem to fade, can seem to be far away. But we have an advocate with the Father. You know what? What is the point of running from God? Where can I run from you, O God? Will I make my bed in the depths of the sea? Will I run to the forest mountain? Well, where can I run from you, God? Can I go to Timbuktu and you'll not be there? He's been everywhere. He is everywhere. He sees everything. The best thing to do is just to bend your knee, come to him as quick as possible. Ask him to help you. Ask him to, to, to set you free from whatever binds you. Come to him in prayer. We need to appreciate again the mystery of prayer, the wonder of prayer, where we have a, an immediate audience with God, an immediate audience with God. You know, we talk about prayer and we sometimes can think of it in certain ways. The truth is, if he'll listen to a prayer of the unsaved, whenever they come to Christ, how much more will, they listen to, will he listen to the prayer of us, his children, when we come to him? Seek him in his word and pray to him. Ask him to renew you, to refresh you, to, to re return the joy of your salvation. J.C. Ryle said, just as the first sign of life in an infant when born into the world is the act of breathing, so the first act of men and women when they are born again is praying. Second Corinthians 5, 17, I've already quoted it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Isn't God wonderful? Isn't it wonderful that he changed us? I didn't have to go through any five-step plan. I didn't have to go to, to weekly classes up in the Church of Ireland to, to get, them, get weighed and measured. <laughs> you know, I don't need someone else to tell me that I'm saved or I'm doing a good job. It can't be bestowed on us, but God is good. He has saved us. He's changed us. He's given us a heart after him, a desire for his kingdom, a desire for his word, a desire to pray and seek his face. It's wonderful that he's done. It's absolutely fabulous. And finally, we forget Nicodemus. This conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus where he engages with him and he starts to explain to him about the kingdom of heaven, about being born again. We stop there. We don't go any further. You read a few verses on further down. And what were we reading? John 3, wasn't it? John 3, 1 to 10, I read. We don't need to turn to it again, but John 3, 16. He said that to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a wonderful verse. What a wonderful thing to say to this man who might have had other plans, this man who might have had other ambitions or might have had other self-praise and self-righteousness. He says to him, yeah, it's not good enough. But you know what? It doesn't matter all those things. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, just as those things that I mentioned at the beginning couldn't save us, couldn't change us, 
You know, I said about Nicodemus, it wasn't about his religious heritage. It wasn't about his biology and where he was born or who he was born to. It wasn't something that was granted by men or disposed uh, upon us by man. It's not a matter of knowledge and understanding and learning. And, And Jesus points all them things out, but he says, whosoever is the only requirement. Whosoever will come unto me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the truth of our message. This is the truth of what God has done in us, how he has transformed us and giving us a living hope, an abundant life, a transformed life. As I said, at the beginning, I don't know where we all are. I imagine most of us are saved. But I believe it's appropriate to give an opportunity if anyone doesn't know Christ, to come to know Christ. It's an opportunity to come to know this Savior who transforms us, by his Holy Spirit renews us, makes us again, wipes the slate clean of all those things that charmed us, all those things that ride our back like a monkey, hold us down and hold us back. I believe it's appropriate to give that opportunity for anyone who doesn't know Christ or even has maybe gone cold, maybe has lost the joy of their salvation, maybe has been charmed by this world. You know, we've tried the broken cisterns and they don't, they don't satisfy This world is truly not good enough. It's not good enough for us. Yes, we have to live here. Yes, we have to reach out to this world and try and save it. There's people out there who need to know that God can save them and transform them. So I'm just going to lead us. I'm just going to pray a sinner's prayer. I hate the name of it. A prayer asking God to come and change us, to save us if you don't know Christ. But if you're in a situation where you're cold or far or joyless, no joy of your salvation has, has been diminished, let's take this time and just think about God and what he has done for us and appreciate it again and come to him in humility, not like the, the rebellious nation that has stiff neck, but as a humble people, as a sensitive people, as a people who are open to God. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.